Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today I'm talking with Nicola Locke, who's an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration in the UK. And that's a UK registered charity dedicated to informing and implementing healthy decisions for better public health. In this episode, Nicola and I chat about low-carb and her own journey to completely turning her diet around, but also how she sees food and, well, human biology. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. But just before, I wanted to thank you for listening to this podcast And I'd love it if you could add your rating. Just scroll down and click on the stars to rate it. And if you're wondering how to leave a review, go to your podcast player, scroll down and click on write a review. And if you want to get my five tips to get rid of cravings, then go to aftersugarclub.com and download your five tips there. All right, here's my chat with Nicola. So I'm talking today with Nicola Locke, who is an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration in the UK. Where exactly are you in the UK, Nicola? Um, So I'm in the northwest of England in a seaside town called Southport. Uh, You would say that our closest city was Liverpool, about 40 minutes away. Oh, lovely. Oh, nice. All right, so um, can you let us know, just tell us a bit about how, what your life was like when you were growing up in sunny England and uh, what you used to eat as a child? Um, going back to sort of early years, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and I would have said that it was pretty normal relationship around food. I don't remember food being an issue. Um, I don't remember people being particularly overweight in those days. I mean, I, I think you, you probably agree at school, there was maybe like one or two overweight kids and you always remember who they were because they were unusual to be so overweight. So yeah, just a pretty normal upbringing, um, three meals a day, probably no snacks in between. And if I could have a snack, I always remember my mum saying things like, oh, you can have half an apple and things like that if I wanted to snack in between meals. Um, yeah, but just normal food really and not a bad relationship with food until really getting into the late teens early 20s and that was because we're the same age so that was 80 late 80s early 90s right yeah yeah and then what happened then um I don't know I think maybe getting into the sort of going out more meeting people starting work in my early 20s as well uh, being around people that maybe food was a bit of an issue and also having my own money so, um, I mean, I was, I remember as a kid, my grandparents come in and give me 50p. And the first thing I would do was go to the shop and buy sweets with all of that money because it was so rare to be 
be given sweets or they were a very rare treat that if I had my own money I would spend it all on sweets but when you've got your own money growing up um, you've got your first job and I mean I worked in a hospital as well and they're not the best environments for food anyway and staff canteens was you know chips or fries with everything and just going mad on all the pre-packed stuff that I could get my hands on and there was always a tuck shop um you, you know run by volunteers which was yeah, right outside shop. the staff canteen just to explain to the non-brits a tuck shop is where you get snacks and things right yeah yeah like sweets <laughs> just wanted to translate that <laughs> i know i forget who i'm talking to sorry <laughs> um and um so basically you worked in a hospital and are you telling me that the hospital food was rubbish think so this was the early 90s and I would uh, explain it more as sort of like a like a school canteen kind of food when I was at school I was never allowed to stay for school dinners and so I always had a packed lunch which was a sandwich uh, a packet of crisps um chips for the Americans yeah, uh, maybe a piece of, <laughs> or maybe a, and a piece of fruit I have the same three things every day or maybe very rarely a chocolate bar whereas all the kids that stayed for the school dinners they were just eating greasy food really just you know fries and chips and pies and Mm. and things like that and I used to envy those kids I wanted to be one of those kids that had school dinners so yeah. of course when I went to work in the hospital and had this canteen that was serving all that food of course that's what I wanted to eat I didn't want to take food with me and be sensible right. and the only time that I did try to be sensible was on those occasions where I wanted to try to lose weight for an event you know a holiday coming up or a wedding to go to yeah and that was considered normal as well in other words you sort of eat whatever without sort of thinking about what it's doing to your body. And then surprise, surprise, you have weight to lose. Um, and then, you know, in some occasion, social occasion comes up and you think, oh, I've got to lose 10 pounds fast. Was that, so that was it. I mean, 10 pounds really was not a lot of weight to lose compared to what some people have to lose these days. I mean, I've lost um, when I went low carb, I lost about a stone and a half maybe just over and have maintained that maybe gone up a little bit can but I translate you... how much that is again yeah yeah <laughs> a stone is 14 pounds so a stone and a half 14 plus 7 that's 21 pounds yeah yeah so I pretty much kept that weight off and maybe I've put a few pounds back on since then but years ago when I used to think that I was overweight I was maybe well I was less than I am now Huh. Yeah. Um, yes. So you grew up as a child, you know, normally <laughs> what we, you know, we consider normal and you weren't overweight as a child, right? No, no, not at all. When did the weight start creeping up? Um, well, in my head, the weight started creeping up in my early 20s. But looking back on it now, I didn't have a weight problem. It was just maybe I had an unhealthy attitude with what I could see in the mirror more than anything and I was around a group of people that I worked with and friends that I went out with it was all about the way you looked and who was the thinnest mm -hmm. so no I didn't really have weight problems in my early 20s um although when I got married I lost so much weight I mean I, I look so thin I look ridiculous um but I thought that I had to lose all that weight to look fantastic on my wedding day and then of course 
the, you know, like £10 or so would go back on and then the holiday had come up. So, of course, crash diet again to lose that weight to get to the weight I wanted to be. It was all about the number on the scales, nothing to do with being healthy or the way that I looked even. I had to get to, I wanted to be under nine stone or something like that, which Mm -hmm. is like, what, 126 pound, which is ridiculous for me now. Yeah, how Um, tall are you? Five, five, five foot five. Yeah, that's a nice healthy weight, isn't it? And it's like, and that was also considered normal. You know, I get back to this word of normal of, it's normal to put on weight as we get older and it's normal to crash diet to lose that weight fast for you know a wedding or whatever occasion you know our definition of normal I know but I do think that the actual proper weight started going on and I looking at it now I think it's I stopped smoking in my mid-30s and looking back I think that's where the proper unhealthy weight started going on I mean I'd had two children by the time I was 30 I'd lost the weight and gone back to whatever I was before so I'd obviously got a maintenance weight but then I'd stopped smoke I'd, I'd been smoking since I was about 14 15 stopped when I was about 35 and as is quite often with people they put the weight on because they just eat more yeah. and at those times I was eating what I thought was the sensible diet so I was eating low fat which means that I was eating lots of carbohydrates and sugar. And um, I mean, I even remember one diet I went on was called the Rosemary Connolly's hip and thigh diet. And it was ultra, ultra low fat. She'd had gallstones or something and she'd ended up making herself better with the diet and losing all this weight. So she had this book out and it was just, it was basically eating sugar the whole time. It was awful. You could eat, you know, you could go to the shop and buy yourself sweets, but as long as it didn't have fat in it and you could have the... um, the little mini Kellogg's cereals for breakfast, you know, a little cocoa pops or a crunching up cornflakes, that would be a healthy breakfast with Crazy. skimmed milk and cottage cheese and, oh, just awful food. And I, I used to I used to do that for breakfast and lunch. But by the time I got home, I was like, I just need a proper meal. Yeah, yeah. So. And, you know, what we also used to think was normal is not is to concentrate on the weight loss and not even question why we were putting on all this weight in the first place. Because then we just tried harder to be low fat in our generation, right? We never stopped to think, oh, hang on, why am I doing all this and still putting on weight? Yeah, I mean, the weight, I did lose the weight when I sort of did the low fat diets, but that's because they're so calorie restricted. And how did you feel on them? Were you hungry a lot? Oh, awful. Yeah, really, really hungry and miserable. And, you know, I'd see see other people eating things like, um, you know, someone eating a full fat yogurt and thinking, oh, there's no way that I could eat that. But knowing, you know, now I know that that's the things that I should have been eating. But we were frightened. We were just told that this was so wrong and, you know, not to cook with butter, all the things that taste so lovely you had to cut out. So it was a massive turnaround for you to discover the low carb way of eating, which I just call normal, seeing as we're talking about the word normal. (laughs) Um, And how did that happen? Um, Well, it happened, sort of the seed was planted about seven or eight years ago. And I'd seen a doctor in the UK, Dr. Michael Mosley, and he was being interviewed on the TV about, he got this book out called The Eight Week Blood Sugar Diet. And he was talking about, he'd been diagnosed either pre-diabetic I'm not sure or diabetic I think it was pre-diabetic and he decided that he didn't want to go on medication 
and he wanted to research it and he wrote this book and the book really was mainly around um, eating five to 800 calories a day, but it was the basis of it was low carb. So that just sparked my interest. So I started um, reading more books and following him a little bit more because he's a health journalist. So he makes quite a lot of programs in the UK. Yes, I know. Um, and really didn't do much with it. Maybe tried to cut out potatoes, pasta, rice, or at least cut them down, knowing that I shouldn't really be eating them. Um, and then it was the same old story. I got on the scales after Christmas in January 2019 and just wanted to cry because I'd put so much weight on um, and thought, right, I'm going to go for this. So I downloaded an app on my phone just so that I could track um, how much sugar and carbs I was eating, which was brilliant, actually, because I was amazed at how much sugar there is packed into things that you, you'd got no idea see my idea of cooking um, say like a, a bolognese was to cook a bit of mince and throw a tin of sauce on it yeah. that was me cooking from scratch or yeah. the same with curries and things like that it would be like a, a tin of sauce but right. when you actually scan these and put them into these um, apps and you see how much sugar's in them so I think that got me kick-started um, and then I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and realized how much I was enjoying it because the weight came off quickly to begin with, which was great. And probably by about five or six months in, I'd lost, like you say, the about 23 pounds at the highest, I think. And then it, it, you know, put a bit back on. Um, and then, of course, you want to tell everybody else that I've been dieting for so many years, for the last 30 odd years and nothing's worked. And now this is working. But nobody wanted to know. <laughs> Isn't that funny, right? You finally find something. What was different about it from all the other diets? I think the lack of hunger and that it worked and that you lost the weight and it stayed off and that you could eat all this delicious food. Um, why wouldn't you want to? And of course, you do have people giving you funny looks like, oh, my God, you're going to have a heart attack eating all that fat. But I'm like, well, no, you're not actually. Uh, and I even studied more into it. I studied with Nutrition Network. Uh, because I wanted more information because it fascinated me so much. I'd never really been into science of, of anything really at school. I wasn't really interested in the way things worked, but I was interested in how what you put in your body does to you and what you can get out of it. Yeah, and what they tell you and the difference between what they tell you and what actually happens in your body. <laughs> I just want to take a little break to tell you that the 12-week experience in the Life After Sugar program is now available. This opportunity is for you if you're an intermittent faster and you feel ready to address the deeper reason why sugar has such a strong hold on you. You may know all the theory about sugar and how it affects you, but you need help to take action and implement it. If you recognize that in order to feel truly free from sugar, you need more personalised guidance and support from someone who's been there and done that, like myself, then this hands-on tailor-made experience could be a perfect fit for you. So if you're looking for personalised, step-by-step guidance and support from me, so that you can let go of sugar and get to a place where you don't need sugar or miss it anymore, 
Then check out the details of the Life After Sugar 12-week programme at aftersugarclub.com and in the top menu, click on the Programme tab. That's aftersugarclub.com and click on Programme. Yeah, because I think we've all been, you know, hoodwinked by the diet industry to believe things that are contrary to basic human biology. So when you started, can you just tell me the name of your the app that you used? It's called NutriCheck. OK, all right. Yeah. Good to know. You get it. I think you get like a week free and then I ended up paying for it because I just thought it was valuable for me. Yeah, it's a good investment, you know, mm. definitely. And so you started studying about that you know I call it so-called low-carb way of eating because I, I really do believe it's just eating <laughs> but because we are so used to the low-fat way of eating we have to give this one a new label but what did you find out that blew your mind the most? Uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> everything really um I think when I did the first course with the Nutrition Network, it was the Nutrition Network Advisor course. And this is part of the Notes Foundation, which is Tim Noakes, which I'm sure a lot of people will know. And yeah. uh, so it's his company. And just all the, the amount of brilliant people that came on. And um, one thing that really stands out was Bitten Johnson. She was one of the lecturers on the Nutrition Network course. And she explained how um, addiction you can get to addiction through, um, you know, people who are, you get people who can, you know, have a couple of biscuits and then put them down and, and that's it, walk away. Yes. You get these people who maybe have half a packet and then think, oh dear, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe like a harmful user, but then you get the people who are going more towards addiction and they're the people that can't stop and they have to keep getting more and more to get that same dopamine hit. And I think things like that, that never really occurred to me. I knew that the low carb was, I understood what it did to your body, but what it does to your mind. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's one of the things I would say really blew me blew me away because I've gone into study more about that, and I've even done a neurology course because I'm really fascinated in the brain gut connection and yeah. mental health and things like that, and how you how you eat, how it could make you feel mentally. And Michael mostly is quite knowledgeable about that as well. I've got his books here about this brain gut connection oh right? yeah the clever guts book yes yeah. yeah so you were you in the health field before you started studying this about nutrition or not um not a healthcare professional I was a medical secretary um I worked for psychiatrists actually in Liverpool for about 10 years um, and then I've gone on to sort of more, do more sort of like pain management and orthopedics is what I do now but on on the admin side but I think when I studied at college, it's a two-year course to be a medical secretary. So you had to learn a lot of clinical things. You had to learn the medical terminology. So I do sort of understand the terminology. So I think that's maybe why I like the book by Michael Mosley, yeah. because I, I understood it. Yes, yes, definitely. You know, you, some people say, oh, no, you've got to do all the the scientific reading and the PubMed articles and I'm like well it actually whether or not you read those types of articles I mean great if you do but it actually doesn't change anything that happens in your body 
where you read up about it, it's going to happen in the body, regardless of where you get your information. But knowledge is power, in my opinion, as a teacher. And then what took you to become an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration? Um, well, it was during the first lockdown in um, about April, May last year, there was a conference, the Public Health Collaboration Conference, and they'd had to hold it online because everything had got cancelled and the conference is on YouTube. And I, I, you know, I don't even know how I stumbled across it. I think I might have heard them talking about it on another podcast, um, the Public Health Collaboration. So I'd looked them up and they'd had about three or four talks were by ambassadors. And these were all people who had had, I think the majority had had diabetes. So they were sort of the patient who then were going on to educate other patients through their role as a public health collaboration ambassador and I just thought you know that's really interesting and it's something that I'd like to do but I thought I've not got any health issues and, and things like that you know I'm just a, a former overweight person um what do I know about this who's going to listen to me so that's when I decided to study with the nutrition network so when I'd done the first course the advisor course which included coaching that's when I approached the public health collaboration and applied to become an ambassador. And so now I'm their ambassador for our local area. So that's wow. been about two years now. Oh, wonderful. And can you tell us a little bit about what it is, the public health collaboration? Um, yeah, it's, um, well, it, it's a UK charity and it's dedicated to sort of informing healthy decisions on lifestyle and their role as an ambassador would be uh, ideally to get into places like hospitals or GP surgeries and to speak, you know, speak to the family doctors and, and maybe um, set up groups on their behalf. Um, at the moment, I'm working with two local surgeries where we run groups for um, people with diabetes or people who just want to lose weight. So I'm just there sort of um, to give information because we can't give medical advice. Like, you know, I, I'm not medically trained but I'm there to provide them with a sort of like a patient advocate role yeah yeah um, and, you know one of them we have a, a whatsapp group so oh, we yeah. have the we have the monthly meeting with the doctor and then there's the whatsapp group which basically is for the patients to interact but I'll keep an eye on if there's any questions like maybe they'll sort of say oh Nicola what do you think to this but it, it's nice it's like a little community yeah really lovely. fulfilling yeah, totally. And funnily enough, I remember for the longest time thinking, who's going to listen to me? You know, 150,000 downloads later, I'm like, oh, I think some people are listening. Yeah. But not so much who's going to listen to me in the sense of who's going to obey me, uh, but who is going to listen to someone that isn't wearing a white coat, which yeah. is your position and my position. And funnily enough, more people do listen because we've walked the walk. Yeah, well, there's one, one, one of the ambassadors, um, I remember he's, him saying years ago something about you're an expert by experience. Right. So you know, the medical experts can tell you information, but is it their story? Have they been there and lived it? And what I found is that some of the information isn't even necessarily accurate. No, well yeah <laughs> the low fat um yeah and also the cholesterol and things like that it's really frustrating because I have family members who are on blood pressure medication and and all kinds of things and um 
you know, I, I try to persuade them, maybe, you know, maybe you could go to low carb and see how you get on, but they're really not interested. And it does worry me. Yeah. Because I don't want to be that person on medication in another 20, 30 years time. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a little bit ironic that a lot of the messages from the medical establishment are biologically inaccurate. How did that happen? Well, You'll, you'll get you'll go to a doctor and the doctor will say, you know, oh, well, you know, don't question my medical degree. And I've been a doctor for 30 years. And you're saying, well, have you actually learned anything in the last 30 years? You, I mean, I know they have to do um, these courses that I do with Nutrition Network. They get these CPD points for them. Um, but you can only get those if you're a medical professional. So I can't get the points. But they could do these courses and it goes towards their, their professional development. Um, so, you know, so. You know, the doctors and the nurses and whoever, all the healthcare professionals, they, they should be keeping up to date, but they're just told what they want them to know, I think. I don't know. that. I mean, aren't sort of, isn't medical education funded by the pharmaceutical companies anyway? Apparently, in certain places in the world, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I mean, big food, apparently in the States, you know, gives a lot of money to a lot of medical establishments. So, yeah. That's also worth wondering about as consumers and patients. Um, so you you work with the Unwins, is that right? Yes, that's one of the groups that helped to run, yeah. Okay, yeah. so J Jen Unwin, who I had on my podcast um, last year, and uh, David Unwin, very well-known doctor in the low-carb yeah. world. And so in the contact that you have with people, how do you find that the reaction is to your message from like just regular people and um, what the patients that I work with or just the general public both really um the experience of working with the low carb groups particularly the, the one that we've only set up about four months ago is that the patients it's, it's mixed emotions of sort of shock and sometimes a bit angry about why isn't no one told me about this before I've been going to Slimming World and Weight Watchers and doing this this and this for years and years and this is going to fix me well not fix you but help to to improve your health yeah so I think with the patients to begin with they're very shocked and a little annoyed but you do find that as the course progresses they're actually really very grateful and just so happy that that people are helping them. I mean, one woman in this new group that we started four months ago was the first meeting she went to was just kept saying, I'm so grateful to be here that someone's going to help me. I mean, she goes to Slimming World every week and gets weighed, but does our diet. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So she does the low carb, but doesn't tell anyone. And then low no, and she just goes to get weighed. <laughs> That's funny, actually. Um, and so, yeah, it is. I remember feeling very sort of annoyed and then really like manipulated into having been given this bill of goods of eat low fat, cut your calories and nothing to do with how your body actually works. And quite frankly, I never wondered. I never actually asked the right questions. I just swallowed what they told me. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I don't go to the doctors yeah the last time I went to the doctors was maybe about five years ago because I'd put my back out lifting a load of books up and um 
while I was there, she said to me, um, oh, you know, we've not been for a while. I think we'll do some blood, some we'll do your blood pressure and things like that. Anyway, she said, oh, your blood pressure's quite high. And I thought, well, yes, my back's in spasm. So obviously, uh, but we'll send you for some bloods and then, um, you know, come back next week. So I went back with the blood results. All were fine. But no, the blood pressure was still a little high. So then she sent me off to get this 24-hour ECG, which came back textbook perfect. Um, but no, never did she say to me anything about my lifestyle. What was I eating? Was I sleeping? Was I under stress? All things that could have affected my blood pressure. Um, what she did say to me was, after, um, before we got the ECG results, was that, oh, well, we'll see what the results come back as. And if it's still high, we'll have to think about medication. So she, she'd not mentioned anything lifestyle. And I'd not really thought about it because I'd not got proper low carb. But I think now that I would, would sort of say, well, hang on a minute. Because if I took my dog to the vets and he wasn't well, one of the first things your vet says is how much exercise do you get in? What are you feeding him? You know, it matters what you feed your animals. Yeah. I mean, I've even put my dog on grain-free food now because yeah. he used to suffer quite badly um, from stomach issues. He's perfectly fine. It's amazing. Funny, isn't it? Yeah, my yeah. dog got, has got diabetes. Yeah, it's, and I reckon maybe we should go and see a vet instead of going to see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you know and again I've got a fantastic doctor who I give him props for sitting there and having me as a patient <laughs> where he shows me oh you know your cholesterol is quite high and I'm like good that's what it needs to be <laughs> well how long do you get with your doctor though um well funnily enough I have to say here it's I think it's supposed to be 15 minutes but my doctor is always uh, you know, an hour and a half late, even when your appointment is at like 8.30 in the morning. So, um, so, but when you're with him, he spends more than 15 minutes with you. So yeah. you can see why he's always late, but you appreciate it when you're the, the one in front of him. But, you know, he's, he's lovely because I'll ask him, you know, well, which type of cholesterol? Well, what about, you know, my triglycerides and what about the, and so he'll answer. And I said to him, look, you know, the total cholesterol is high, but that's because the HDL is high and that's a protective and he I mean it's not like I'm teaching him stuff he knows that stuff so but he is good enough to like put the papers aside for the blood work and say yeah okay let's talk about something more you know that that can help you and but basically there's nothing that that is wrong with me anyway but and he I remember seven years ago when I told him I'd cut sugar and he was all for it it was great yeah really so he says, well, if you feel better, you know, what can I tell you? We know I need a doctor like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. And actually, yes, exactly. They, you know, I guess they should all be like that. But it's like with teachers or with anything else, you know, you've got a mixed bag. I mean, I think maybe the younger ones coming in might get it. Maybe. Who mm. knows? I yeah, think well, it takes it takes a few generations, doesn't it? Totally. Yes, definitely for it to filter down. And, I mean, and my, again, my kids are sort of in their early 20s and, and they see what I'm doing. I mean, my eldest son, he doesn't live here anymore. And we went out for a meal for his birthday, I think. And we said, well, where shall we go? And I suggested a restaurant. And he said, is that you compatible? Yeah, <laughs> and I said, yes, that's fine. If, if they serve steak, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, lovely. And so how do you find day to day living being low carb? Is it difficult? 
no, not for me now. I don't even think about it. It's enjoyable. I actually look forward to my meals. Whereas, um, I mean, I, I work at home, so I'm on my own all day. And previously, I probably would have either not bothered to eat or just like picked something and ate it at my desk. Whereas now I make a point of cooking myself something like, I mean, today I'm baking an eggs for lunch and a bit of Greek yogurt afterwards. But what I'll do is I'll put my phone down to one side and go and sit outside in the sunshine in the garden and just eat my meal and just watch the birds on the bird table and things like that and make a thing of it. Whereas before meals were just something, you know, it's 12 o'clock I've got to eat. Oh, it's five o'clock I've got to eat again. And I never liked eating breakfast anyway, so I just don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and some days um, during the week, sometimes I'll just go one meal a day just because I'm more productive if I can I don't have to stop to eat. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, do I don't plan to do that really, but but it happens, it happens naturally. Yeah. So you do intermittent fasting, like yeah, at, at least sixteen hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you feel great. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, looking looking um, back, you know, there's always this hindsight thing. Once you know things, you think, oh well, actually, I probably did have a few issues years ago. But I just thought that well, it was quite normal to feel rubbish in the middle of the afternoon and want to put your head on the desk and fall asleep. And you know, I used to have um, I used to have skin issues that I didn't think were that much of a big thing. I had like a patch of psoriasis on my elbow that I'd have to go and get cream for every so often because it'd flare up. That's completely gone. Um, I used to get puffiness had just come up underneath my eyes for no reason I don't know if it was something I'd eaten maybe I'd had a reaction to I don't get that anymore so I probably was sort of a a sick person waiting to be you you know what I mean I I was in waiting as such things were happening in the background because once people are diagnosed as pre-diabetic it's been going on for years yeah exactly you know people will say oh no I'm not diabetic I've had blood spark it's like, well, maybe you're not now. I mean, I, I'm, I've not been diagnosed diabetic, but I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a couple of weeks just because I was interested. I thought, well, if I'm going to work with diabetic patients, then I should know what it's like for them and what foods can do to you. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing. I just I actually enjoyed the two weeks that yeah. I wore it for. The only time I got a massive spike and then a crash was I ate one of those medjool dates and oh boy yeah that was yeah. I mean you, you do get spikes when you eat because I understood that because I just thought you, you know you've got to flatline the whole time to be healthy you don't you do spike when you eat but what's important is after a couple of hours whether that's come back down normal again but when I ate the date it shot up and right back down again like really hypo right, so I was like yeah. I won't do that again but then um things like um I make my own granola, but I do put porridge oats in it. And a lot of people say, oh, no, you can't eat porridge oats. But they actually didn't affect my blood sugar at all. So well, there you go. Yeah. So it, it's very individual. You can't one size doesn't fit all. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Which is why, you know, now I think, why are we getting that one size fits all message about, you know, calories and whatnot? Whereas it not only is it biologically inaccurate, but it's not one size fits all, you know, and oh, it's so frustrating. And it's so great to see that, you know, there's more and more of us who have taken sort of our personal power back to actually get the information that is right for us. 
Well, I think when, once you've realised that you've helped yourself, you want to help other people if they want to be helped. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and that's what you're doing with the Public Health Collaboration. Well, we went to a conference, actually. Um, actually got to meet people in person. Even though I've been working with the Unwins for the past 12 months, it's been via Zoom, so I'd never met them in person. So I got to meet them face to face and had a photograph taken with them, of course. And you feel like you've known them forever. It's um, because it's it's a lovely community just everybody likes that you know those two days of the conference was just amazing I was just I, I felt like crying when it was all over I was like I just don't want to leave these people they're, they're just such a it's a wonderful community even if it you know meeting people like you on Facebook and meeting people on Twitter and you feel like once you do meet them in person you feel like you know them. I mean, there's a, you know, Dan Grief, don't you? He's got a, yeah. a group, UK Low Carb, which is a big Facebook group and a podcast. Yeah. And I actually met some people from there at the Public Health Collaboration Conference. But I felt, you know, people come up to me and say, hi, Nicola, and it'd be like, oh, hi. It's like, as if you'd always known them. It's really weird. Oh. And I would never have gone somewhere like that on my own before. I, you know, I'm the kind of person who won't walk into an empty room on my own, or, or sorry, a crowded room on my own. If, if we ever went to a restaurant or something, oh, I'm not going on my own, will you come with me? But now I'm like, no, I'm happy to go on my own. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put the link to the public health collaboration here below this, uh, this episode, with this episode. And thank you so much for talking to me. You're welcome. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. What a wonderful chat with Nicola. And as an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration in the UK, Nicola is making concrete change in how people in the UK and with this podcast, people all over the world see food, eat food and have access to low-carb resources so that they can learn how to transform their health and their lives through what they eat. And if you want some free resources about what real whole foods are and where the processed food companies hide those sneaky sugars, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab, What to Eat. You'll find three videos there, one about which foods don't have added sugars, another about how to find these foods at the grocery store, And the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods. Because these are also whole foods that look after your gut health. And gut health is central to your general health. And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, Cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources and tips on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. That's where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do sometimes some inspiring quotes or sometimes just pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's totally possible to live a fun and active life even if you don't eat sugar. And if you're ready to get some personal guidance, support and accountability so that you can let go of sugar 
and feel more confident in your food choices and feel healthier because you've finally made peace with sugar so that you get to a point where you don't need it or miss it anymore. Then I have two different offerings for you. The first is the Life After Sugar program where you get 12 weeks of personalized, customized support and guidance from me with frequent accountability calls according to your availability and time zone so that we can keep in touch as often as you need to make sure that you let go of sugar step by step and discover real freedom from sugar. That's the Life After Sugar program at aftersugarclub.com and in the top menu, click on the Program tab. And if you need more of a self-study format with less frequent check-ins with me, then the After Sugar Club may be a better fit for you. Go check it out at aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, Join the Club. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.